This podcast is proudly sponsored by Simmental Australia. The versatility and strength in both maternal and terminal trays should make Simmental's your first choice crossbreeding partner. So isn't it time you took your Simmental advantage? Well, welcome back to the Australian Simmental podcast. We're celebrating 50 years and my next guest is someone who, well, he's actually been here for every story so far. We better throw it up front that no, you're not having a glitch. We've got a voice that has been here with us all along and it's Peter Spears. Peter Spears has a huge and long history with the Australian Simmental Association and we're so excited to share his story today. Peter, it's great to have you here. It's good to be involved in in this podcast series and uh, I hope we can share a few few recollections of uh, years gone by. I feel like I re- little bit in envy of your voice. I'd love to be able to channel those kinds of tones. <laughs> Forget about that. <laughs> now we missed each other just at the echo last week or mm. yeah, just recently, um, Peter. So how was your time there? You're on the microphone announcing. How was the echo? Oh, look, it was really good. Uh, the echo is always a great, uh, a great event every year. And uh, for me, it was great to be able to come back after some years and uh, catch up with a lot of the breeders. It was also really good to see so many, I would say, new breeders. <laughs> so, I mean, I've been uh, out of the breed now, I guess, officially for something like 14 years, but uh, it's, it's wonderful to see so many new breeders that have come in over that period. And, uh, and that's really great. But the Ecker itself was a, was a great display of cattle um, and uh, some really good cimentals on display. And it was good to be involved with, with the breed uh on that uh anniversary the 50th anniversary of the breed it was a terrific event it's quite a big and ongoing party this year isn't it the 50 years you all <laughs> yeah. different chances to catch up with everyone at everyone at every opportunity and popping into the different shows well it has been uh, i enjoyed uh certainly the event in sydney uh earlier in the year and and that was a, a wonderful uh a wonderful event the, the breed put on down in, in new south wales and uh, I guess it's continuing on. It'll be, uh, uh, you know, obviously focusing on the other shows that'll be coming up um, in Adelaide, of course, and, uh, and then followed by Brisbane. And of course, we've got Perth. Uh, so all around the country, really, uh, not to mention Tassie. So, uh, yeah, great, great that all the breeders can, can be able to celebrate the, what I think is a, is a great achievement for the breed, 50 years. It's, it's a tremendous milestone. Yeah, it is really exciting. And I think chatting to some of the people that have been there since the very beginning, but also some of the, uh, as you mentioned, some of the new breeders starting to pop their head up and get involved. It's exciting. So how did the simis go in the ring down there at the Echo? Well, they went well. I mean, when, when we look back over the years, um, simmentals originated here in Australia with the traditional simmentals imported uh, with genetics from Switzerland, Germany, Austria, uh, predominantly and of course uh, they then expanded over the years with further introductions from uh, uh, North America, uh, Canada obviously, New Zealand, uh, South Africa um, but as the breeds evolved here in Australia we've developed other colour patterns in the breed and different maturity patterns in the breed and so when we looked at, uh, at, at the Eka we had had all of those uh, on display, a good display of, of black cimentals, uh, some red cimentals, and traditional cimentals, and 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 to be able to offer that variety, that diversity in, in the breed, 
and put that on display in a, in a very meaningful way in Brisbane was 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 uh, quite an eye opener for everybody. Yeah, they're certainly um, starting to catch the eyes and ears of quite a few people in the in the commercial, but also the stud space. It's it's very interesting, isn't it? It certainly is, and um, you know, I, I think we we all know just what contribution the Simmental breed itself has made. I guess to the Australian industry. Uh, that's why it was uh, was brought here. Those fifty years ago uh, was really to uh, to try and boost the performance of the of the breeds that we currently had, which were predominantly Hereford, uh, also of course Shorthorn and and Angus to a lesser extent in those days. And in the north we had uh, well, I guess mainly Shorthorn, Hereford, and and the, and the Brahmin influence. But there was a need to sort of boost the performance, and Simmentales is one of the few breeds brought in that would lift that performance through crossbreeding programs, and and that's evolved with uh, obviously the black Simmentales are making a big contribution also in in the Angus uh, world too. So um, yeah, I think uh, when we look back, we've we've made tremendous strides in in the adoption of the of the Simmental breed throughout the throughout the industry. For sure, I think. Um... It was chatting with Bill Cornell recently too, and and just the the role that the simies can play in in these um, crossbreeding programs too, and really bringing out their the strengths and characteristics and influence uh, in that that next gen calf as well. It's um they, they've got a pretty significant role to play in the industry going forward. Well, they have they have in the industry going forward, and I mean up to now uh, they've been able to demonstrate quite clearly that the you know, that first cross uh, of the Simmental with the British breeds and with the Bosindicus breeds has been at least a 10% boost in performance. And, and that can be, you know, an extra on today's money, it could be another couple of hundred dollars per animal, you know, yeah. so it's quite significant. And of course, those who've kept the, uh, the Simmental infused females on have got an additional gain through additional um, fertility and milking ability. So, uh, you know, there's all sorts of gains that have come from the use of Simmentales in a commercial sense. Absolutely. Well, Peter, I'd love to jump back just a, a little bit and, and talk about kind of your, your background and your, your early interests in agriculture. So firstly, whereabouts did you grow up? Well, I was actually born in Sydney, but I spent um, uh, my early years, uh, I guess, with the Department of Agriculture in New South Wales. And... Uh, I was appointed as a as a beef cattle officer, and I served uh, some time, six years, in fact, up in Inverell area, northern New South Wales, and then another ten years in Tamworth. And I spent actually a year over in Canada as an exchangee, and that was quite an interesting year. And uh, and then uh, shortly after that, I was appointed as uh, as the principal or the, the the head of the beef cattle section in New South Wales. I was moved down to Sydney for that that appointment. There you go. It's it's amazing all these different conversations that um that I have and the different people that pop up. But the there is quite a large number of people that have come from kind of city backgrounds and have have had and are having like quite a quite an influence on ag. It's exciting. So where did the interest in agriculture come from? A lot of my family uh, had farms um, in the central west of New South Wales around the you know, Orange, Bathurst, Blaney sort of area. And um, I spent a lot of my younger years paddling around on those farms and got very interested, of course, in agriculture and always had a love of, of, of animals in general. And 
and that grew into a, a special interest in in cattle and um, and beef cattle in particular. So I guess that's it's been there for, for for many years for me anyway as a as a sort of a, a driving force. And so it was a pretty obvious pathway for you, kind of after finishing high school, that you're going to go and study agriculture and and head off into the big wide world that and the opportunities that ag could offer. It, it was. Um, I went to Hawkesbury Agricultural College after after finishing high school, and uh, um, that was a terrific experience as well. Three three years doing that. Um, but yeah, I, I I wasn't too sure whether I'd be going with the department into beef cattle or into some other field that they had in mind. But uh, I think when they saw that uh, my passion was for beef cattle, they uh, they uh, rightly or wrongly <laughs> push me in that direction and um, of course I in that process uh, had a very enjoyable year they, they send their new recruits if you like uh, up into uh, the Northern Territory or the Gulf Country of Queensland to spend a year on a on a cattle station up there and uh, you come back from that experience of course uh, <laughs> having spent uh, a year on a horse uh, pushing cattle around and um, and so on, uh, you, you sort of know a lot more about cattle and, uh, and the foibles of cattle and, and horses uh, than you did before you went up there, that's for sure. They'd be pretty game um, sending you up there, wouldn't they? There'd be a few people that would never have come back, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> I think they might have lost one or three up there, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, for my, for my sins, I think I must have laid pebbles every time I went out on a, on a full day, uh, uh, mustering operations so uh, no no it was good it was good fun and uh, in those days of course the facilities were nothing like they are today and those northern stations I'm talking back uh, 1987 when I was up there and um, and 1967 golly I'm losing track already 1967 so it was uh, yeah the facilities were a bit more primitive I should say um, yeah. it was all horsework and camping out and that sort of thing and uh, I loved it hmm. Truly incredible. Uh, I'm interested in your in your career pathway and and just the different opportunities and how you kind of stepped through. Obviously, you ended up, as you mentioned there, heading up the beef side of things for the DPI. But mm. with regard to how you took those steps, were, was it saying yes? Were you chasing opportunities? Or how did you make those steps? Oh, yeah. No, that's that's a good that's a good question. I um, I guess I was initially. Um, uh, posted to various spots with the Department of Agriculture. Um, you know, I spent some time at Leeton uh, during the drought in New South Wales, and uh, the the department had an Angus stud in those days. Well, half of it during the drought was um, located at, at uh, Orange, and the other half was located at Leeton. So I was looking after the Leeton operation. At the end of the drought, and that broke, um, then I was commissioned to bring the whole herd together back to Trangy. So I was up at Trangy there for a while doing all of that um, and uh, and then uh, the following year we were posted up uh, into the New England area but as a, as a district beef officer I was sort of the first officer located at Inverell and uh, so I was breaking new ground there but a tremendous beef area and uh, wonderful people to work with but it was really a, a case of um, running field days and um, uh, on-farm trials, uh, to try and get some new uh, productivity things going. And that was before Simmentals were even invented in Australia. Uh, so we were trying to get the early stages of performance recording going on, on herds. And uh, 
and that grew, you know, my, my interest in trying to improve the productivity and profitability of commercial beef operations. That was what it was all about. And so we helped with breeding uh, programs, the design of breeding programs, selection of heifers on performance, um, you know, better bull selection. Um, all those sorts of things were part of, of, of my activity. I um, figured the a lot of the advice that was being given to producers in those days was a bit fragmented. Uh, in other words, there'd be some advice that would be nutritional advice, some would be breeding advice, some would be marketing advice. And I figured it was pretty important that we tried to tie these things together so we're really focusing on the bottom line. And um, I developed, uh, with the assistance of some other officers, uh, a program called Beefonomics. And that was designed to pull all those threads together so a producer could feed in his profile information of his herd and his, in his property and uh, play around with different options uh, in terms of breeding programs, feeding programs, marketing programs, and look at the bottom line uh, as it, it might impact uh, right through the whole operation. So that's proved to be a, a nationally important program, Beefonomics. And, and what, uh, what year was that, well, roughly? We introduced that about 1984, 85, I guess it was. Yeah, and uh, it's gone on in various iterations after that as computers improved. Yeah. In those days, I was the, the first extension officer to be um, provided with a computer. I, I convinced the head of the, uh, the agriculture department that this was a very important program and it could only be advanced if we had a computer. And he said, go downtown and buy a computer, which I did. So e. <laughs> wow, so, I don't know how much that thing weighed. And how <laughs> <laughs> Hell, floppy disks. Hmm. Very slow, but it did the job. Yeah, yeah. God, it's incredible. I, I think well, it's quite a cool tangent because you've, you've talked of some of the areas which I think have changed in terms of maybe some of the practices over your career. But what about some of the attitudes towards various things? Like it's funny, you're talking about, yeah, that, that data capture analysis mm. piece back then in the eighties, but we start, we're seeing it in various forms. Now it seems like um, maybe some of the, the challenges and areas of opportunity that we face are probably still some of the same conversations, but what has, yeah, well, how have some of the attitudes in ag changed over your time? Oh, but enormously, I would say. Um, I mean, back in those early days, uh, my early days, let's say, um, uh, it was very hard to start talking about performance selection. It was all it was all selection on confirmation, you know, and the show ring was, was supreme. It still plays a very important role, the show ring, in my view, but um, to try and be talking at the same time about uh, selecting animals on performance was a little bit strange. And so we, we sort of slowly had to work our way through that. And of course, the tools that we had available to do it were fairly slow. In those days, I was carting a great big set of mobile cattle scales around the farms, weighing their cattle to try and get the, the performance data in because nobody had uh, cattle scales on farms. That wasn't, you know, <laughs> that wasn't there. Yeah. So we were trying to trying to measure if you like, um, weight gain ability between two ages. Now, it was very hard to get producers to, to measure cattle at birth, uh, their, birth their birth weight. 
and then take it on from there. So it was very much a case of going out there, probably at, at branding time, grabbing the calves and trying to estimate their age at branding, and then coming back at weaning time <clears throat> and getting a weaning weight and then a yearling weight and, and doing some very basic uh, weight performance measures in those days. Huh. So it grew on from there. And I must say that once the Simmental breed arrived here in 1972, um, you know, the founding fathers, if you like, of the breed um, under the leadership of, of Dick Vinson, um, very strongly emphasised the need to you know, performance record the breed, to have the breed based on performance uh, right from day one. And in fact, uh, that grew on to being the, the early data that breeders were able to put into the system um, formed the basis, if you like, of what is now known as breed plan. And um, in fact, the Simmentals were the first to produce um, a comprehensive um, group breed plan report, ultimately. So, you know, Simmentals have been at the forefront of performance recording right through. Yeah. So uh, you've done a very good tangent here for me, Peter. So thank you. Um, for, for you and your background with the Simmies, I think we'll, we'll probably get there as we flesh it out. Obviously, the previous <laughs> CEO and life member. But how, how did you get involved with Simmentals in the early years? In the early years, uh, probably through... Um, through Harry and, and Wendy Miller. Um, they had their stud based in uh, Manila, which is just north of Tamworth. And I was the beef cattle officer in Tamworth. So I sort of knew them fairly well uh, in those days and knew some of the other Simmental breeders in that area. And uh, when I was uh, moved down to, uh, to Sydney uh, to, to head up the, the beef branch there, um, they, <laughs> They kept at me and at me to say, you know, can you uh, can you play a role, a bigger role with Simmentals? And I said, well, I have to be uh, um, non-biased in this role, so I can't <laughs> uh, I can't be showing any favour to Simmentals. But but under the skin, Simmentals really had a soft spot for me, and uh, uh, I guess I got to a weak point. They said, well, look, could you come and uh, be our technical director initially, and then uh, uh, the CEO of the breed. And I said, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to uh, step away from the, the, the high politics of the, that was involved in the role I had with the department of those days, uh, step away from that a little bit and, uh, and pursue my passion, which is really to get involved more heavily with the Simmental breed. And, and so what uh, was it that really drew you in about them? What was it that made you passionate about the Simmies? Oh, look, I, they were just a breed that, 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 that had everything as far as I was concerned. They had, they had the weight gaining ability. They had great temperament. They had the, had the, the bonus of milk production, um, milk productivity, you know? So, so in, in Europe, they used as a dual purpose breed in many countries. And, and I'd, uh, I'd experienced that and I, I knew what the breed could do. I'd seen what they could do in a commercial sense here in Australia through my role with the department. And uh, they were the standout breed as far as I was concerned. And I just wanted to be more, more involved in, in, in the future of that breed, I guess, and where it might go. And I felt it had a long way further to go, which it, it certainly has done. So, you know, that, I guess that's, that was my motivation. I, I wanted to be more involved in a commercial sense rather than in a governmental sense. And did you have it on your bucket list of the things that you wanted to run, run the organization or yeah, step into it in the leadership capacity? Oh, I wouldn't have had that initially 
um, like back in the early 80s. I uh, wouldn't have had that then, but um, as time went on, uh, I could see that um, I guess where I was going with the department and where the Simmentals were going, I was getting towards the pointy end of sort of saying, I think I'd really rather make a choice of, of going you know, going with a breed. And the breed that I wanted to go with was Simmental. If I'd stayed with the department, I probably would have ultimately been promoted out of a um, a beef role, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that that mightn't have really suited my uh, my desires. So um, it, in many ways, that the move to, uh, when they offered me the role in Simmental, I just jumped at it wholeheartedly. The dream job, potentially. Mm, yep. And... And you were the CEO for, for more than 20 years there. So what, like, what, what were some of your favorite memories and, and different programs and projects that you oversaw during that time? Oh, well, I suppose top of the list would have been the development of breed plan. Um, and then that grew into a group breed plan. See, initially the, the performance recording program that was uh, running, which we called Simmental breed plan, uh, Simmental performance recording, was a within herd program. So you could select your animals one against the other within your herd only. And we felt, well, it's important that we are able to benchmark animals against, against others in the breed. And uh, so, you know, with the aid of AGBU, the Animal Genetics and Breeding Unit, uh, which was the research arm in, in Armadale, uh, we were able to feed our data all through there. and. Uh, and they gradually developed uh, the breed plan as we know it. And it was the data that Simmental breeders were able to put into the system uh, that enabled that system to, to be developed. So, you know, I was very proud of, of, of what the breed was able to do in those early days in getting that running. And then further developing it, we had new trays uh, introduced over the years. We were the first breed to be able to put carving ease in as a, as a tray, you know. And, um, and later on, other carcass traits came in and um, it's gone on from there. And of course, more, more recently, uh, probably more since, since I left, uh, uh, there's been a greater emphasis on, on DNA testing. And, um, and while I, I was keen on having that introduced as a parental um, verification system, um, in terms of it being used as a production aid to production selection, uh, that's something that's probably developed more since I left the breed. And you were mentioning off air that uh, there was a bit of an effect around the the Olympics, which seems surprising. So I'm intrigued, uh, mm. really intrigued mm. by this. What effect did mm. the Olympics have on you? Mm. Well, let's <laughs> step back one 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 point off that one, I guess, Ollie. Um, the the headquarters of the Simmentals uh, in Australia was at the old Sydney Showground. For many years right right from day one or well, not quite day one but in the early days where they built a an office actually uh on the sydney showgrounds in the form of a, a, a style of a cimental uh, of a swiss chalet if you like you know and and that was the that was the office and uh, that's where i started with them too and uh, it was a great little office because uh, certainly during sydney show uh, all the breeders would sort of flock down to the office and sit around on the veranda and have a drink and a chat. And uh, it was a great social uh, hub, if you like, of, of the breed. So that was fine until Rupert Murdoch convinced the state government that they should sell the showground uh, to him to make a movie studio. 
and uh and so we were forced into moving and um we said well what's happening with the showground they said well we're moving it out to homebush we're going to uh, build a new showground out there in conjunction with the forthcoming olympic games so we're going to build all of these facilities out there and so we shot out there and said okay well let's if you're going to be doing that we want to pick the best office we can possibly get in this new administration building which we did um and then ultimately we moved out there uh but then of course uh, with the olympics coming up they then threw at us well you're going to have to vacate of course your office for uh, five or six months and uh, well olympics is being prepared and run and so on uh, so that caused a bit of a disruption to us uh, and um, we had to sort of work out ways of operating the system uh, with staff operating from home and <laughs> and that that was a bit tricky uh, with the computer systems and everything else but we got that done in those days and um, Olympics was a great event, of course, for Australia and for Sydney in particular. And uh, when that was all done and dusted, we uh, we moved back in uh, into uh, into that office. Um, but um, we well, that was back in nineteen ninety nine. I guess we actually moved out to Homebush, and then um, uh, would have been probably about. Um, Three years later, I guess, uh, we decided it was time, particularly when we uh, coincided with the time when our long-term uh, office manager, Tony uh, Appleton, left us. She'd been with us for 10 years there and well-known to many breeders. And um, when she moved, we said, well, let's look at the options now. And it was appropriate, I think, to make the decision to move our secretariat to ABRI in Armidale mm -hmm. and so we closed our Sydney office and uh, uh, I continued to work uh, a home office from Sydney and then um, uh, the rest of the business was operated from a secretarial and registration point of view and accounting point of view uh, from ABRI in Armidale. You're slightly ahead of your time, Peter, with this whole work from home thing. <laughs> <laughs> it worked very efficiently, actually, I must say. And so are you still in Sydney these days or where are you now? Um, on my retirement uh, in, in, when was that? Um, not in 2007. Uh, the following year, we uh, up traps and, uh, and moved down to the Central Coast, which is just a bit north of Sydney. Yeah. And uh, so we, uh, we moved down there and, uh, and we just recently moved again, but still in the same area. Hmm. Oh, lovely. Lovely part of the world. Well, we enjoy it. Yeah, we enjoy the area. And you've mentioned a couple of different people. Harry and, and Wendy Miller were quite pivotal with you in those early days. But who else um, have been some of those notable people for you in your your time with the breed? Yes. Well, I mean, the, the, some of the early founders um, of the breed, uh, I will recall. I mean, Dick Vincent was probably a, a very colourful character, Dick. Um, who recently passed, unfortunately, as a good old, I'm not too sure, he might have been 98 or something like that. But uh, yeah. Dick was one of the early founders of the breed. He was also the initial, the inaugural president of the uh, Simmentales in Australia and also was uh, the founder founder and president of the World Federation, World Simmental Federation. Um, and he, he remained on, uh, on our... 
Simmental Council here in Australia for many years and made a major contribution uh, throughout. And uh, Brooke, no fools, there were any foolish ideas. Uh, he just stomped on those very quickly. And people certainly stood up and listened to Dick when he opened his mouth. Uh, so there was Dick, there was um, the Baker family, of course, uh, Dale and Dean, uh, they were, again, uh, uh, initial starters. In fact, I think Dale um, either registered or bred the first Simmental in Australia. Uh, and Alan Demerick, uh, another founder uh, from Tasmania, um, either bred or, or registered the first Simmental in Australia. So they, were, I was never quite sure which one did what there, but... And then, um, but the Baker family, of course, continued on with their Simmentales in a big way. And uh, in Tasmania, uh, um, Alan Demerick, uh, son, and his son, uh, Martin, of course, uh, continued on. And Martin went on to be a, a later president uh, who I worked with. Uh, I had the privilege of working with, I think, eight different presidents over the period. And they mostly served a three-year term each. And uh, they all had their own individual styles, shall we say. I can remember when I joined, uh, the president was uh, David Emerson and David had spent 23 years on council um, when he ultimately retired from council. And uh, I had a lot of time for David and his abilities and uh, uh, he served several terms as president. Um, oh golly, uh, when, when I think back uh, some of those earlier breeders, uh, and, and, you know, one of the other interesting characters was, uh, was Stan Hilditch. And uh, Stan, um, well, he had both Charolais and Simmentals, and I knew him again in Tamworth, because he had his operation called Cobrabald Simmentals in Walker. And, and Stan's background, uh, um, he, uh, together with Lang Hancock, uh, discovered the, the first iron ore deposits at Mount Newman in Western Australia. And of course, we all know what happened after that. Stan sort of eventually got out of it, but I think it had his finger in royalties or something from then on. Wow. Um, so he did quite well out of it, but uh, he, was a, he was quite a, a large breeder of Simmentalis as well. Um, oh, golly, Malcolm Fraser, of course, was uh, another one some people might recall the name. Um, but we uh, had a lot to do with Malcolm with his Simmental operation uh, and uh, down in Victoria. And uh, he uh, had quite a large herd and Herefords as well, of course. Um, yeah, so, oh, look, I could go a on. Few, yeah, names. there's a, a few names yeah. and some very well-known names in amongst that as well. Yeah, well-known names and... Uh, some fairly colourful characters in amongst them as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the brain yeah. of the Prime Minister. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 he was an interesting uh, interesting guy to deal with. I mean, he, he loved his cattle and he uh, he always bought top quality cattle. Like if he was buying for another sale, he'd generally be buying the top or the second top animal in the sale. <laughs> um, but his own operation was good. Um, he had had a good, good, really good herd of Simmentals and a strong commercial um sim beef line coming through as well he used to sell predominantly to feedlots you know okay but uh but as a very strong devotee of performance recording i can remember many occasions i might be driving along on the road and there'd be a phone call on the on the mobile you had the i think i had one of the original old mobile phones you know the old bricks they were <laughs> yeah about the weight of a brick 
and you'd have that set up in the car when you're driving and uh, quite often I get a call from Malcolm saying now I want to have a bone to pick with you on something to do with breed plan or how one of his animals was treated on breed plan or whatever uh, so we had some colorful discussions with with Malcolm from time to time Ooh, how fun and and you mentioned before about um your well your involvement but the the world Simmental and Fleckfee Federation because you were Ooh. fairly involved with that for quite a number of years as well Yes, had some really enjoyable times uh, uh, in those years. Um, the um, the first uh, World Congress that I attended was in 1990 in Switzerland. And um, uh, the emphasis in, in, in those days of that organisation was heavily uh, uh, dairy-oriented, you know, the milking ability, because um, most of the European countries that are involved uh, use the breed for milking as well as for beef but beef is very secondary um, but in those days there was something like i think 27 or 30 countries around the world that were involved but in terms of having much influence it was it was certainly dominated by the the dairy the dairy countries shall i put, call them that and so in that first uh, meeting i went to i suggested that they should uh, form a beef production committee, which they did. And I, for my sins, I ended up chairing that for a start. So, um, <laughs> Suck anyway, that, that, that went on to, to have some influence then, uh, in, in various countries being more involved because, you know, when you go into Mexico and South Africa and New Zealand and so on, those countries are more interested in beef productivity and the beef uh, performance of, uh, of the Simmental breed. So they become more involved there. The same with North America, Canada and USA. So, um, yeah, that was, that was good. And, of course, every, um, every two years, they would then have a congress in, in some country. And wherever I could, I would try and put a, a, a team of um, Simmental breeders from here um, and we'd, we'd call those a trade mission, and they were great events too. We'd, we'd go over there and look at Simmentals being reared in other countries and how they were doing it and get to know other breeders and use it as a marketing opportunity for ourselves as well. So, so those events were, were, were quite, uh, quite valuable and very, very interesting. Amazing. And for everything you've done, which I feel like we could just talk for days in terms of all the different little projects and people and everything else that kind of compounds out to your influence but you were awarded life membership to Simmental Australia um well what's it like to be recognized the life membership for for this breed in particular but for something which has been such a huge part of your life oh tremendous uh, honor and privilege uh, I mean uh, normally you you have to have been involved with the breed for many years and made a significant contribution as a breeder. Uh, and I can think of, 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 of some of the other life members that have done exactly that. So um, uh, in, in, my, in my role as the executive officer for those years, uh, to have been awarded that honor uh, was a little different, um, but uh, I've got to tell you, it's one of the, the greatest honors I've had bestowed on me over the years. I've, I've had other honours, of course, also from World Federation, uh, where I served as, um, as a vice president. But uh, look, the, the, the life membership of Simmental here in Australia was certainly the greatest. And 
for you, what what's exciting you about the future of the Simmental breed? Well, I think the diversity of it. I think also the the maturity pattern that that the breeders are concentrating on now. Um, very attuned to where the commercial industry is looking for its 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 genetic uh, its genetics, and um, I, I can see I can see the continuing role of black simmentals as much side by side with the traditionals uh, being a major force in the industry. Uh, I I can see opportunities that uh, can still be grasped. Uh, you know, wh- one of those opportunities I believe is to is to really zero in on a on a uh, end end product brand. In other words, it may be called Simmental, it might be called Sim Beef, might be called something else, but it needs to be flowed through to through to the end product. In other words, into the butcher shop, into or into the supermarket. That sort of operation would just catapult the breed into into new stratospheres, but it doesn't happen overnight. And it takes some innovators to sort of drive that initially, and then that would could grow. And it won't be easy, and it would need to be. Uh, various people start different brands, but they can't consistently produce the product to meet the brand's um, stated goals. So, I, I, you know, that with with new gene technology coming on board, DNA technology, we should be able to identify uh, the product type and then breed to that product type. Those are the opportunities I see down the track for the breed. Um, not everybody in the breed would, would be wanting to pursue those sort of opportunities, but I see it as, a, as something that a breed, the breed could certainly pursue in the future as a, as a growth area. Yeah, look, I, I don't know. I, I think uh, I'm very encouraged to see, as I say, so many new breeders, uh, the very strong continuing uh, youth movement in the breed, uh, and so many people come forward through that program either back into our breed, like young people go to these various youth activities and they come back into our breed or they make a contribution in, in the industry generally. And that's tremendous. So I think both those things, new breeders, I like to see the continuation of, of the commercial membership. And that was something uh, we encouraged in my time with the breed, uh, was a very strong sim beef program or a commercial program. And at one stage, I think we'd encouraged our stud breeders to enroll their commercial clients wherever they could in the program to get them involved in steer competitions and using sim beef ear tags, all those sort of programs. And I think at one stage, we we're up to about 700 commercial members. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, we, we have to walk side by side with our commercial clients. And, and I think that's a, a very important thing. And I'm, it's being done certainly is being done and i think that that is a strength of the breed going forward as well absolutely no i think just bringing it together those couple of pairing the the tradition of the industry but then the new people who are coming in and and as you mentioned this youth movement that's coming in like there there is there, there is the next generation actively involved in this and they're the ones who will be able to take advantage and create the opportunities like the the consumer based product and others um and I, I i agree i think it's really exciting and 
it's been great to sit down and chat with you today, Peter, about this. Cause yeah, I think everyone comes at it from just such a, a different angle from their own personal experiences and how over the 50 years, the, the Simmental breed in Australia has shaped them, but also how they've been able to have an influence. So it's been fascinating to sit down with you. Well, thank you, Ollie. I've enjoyed the, the chat as well. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very confident uh, and enthusiastic about the future of the breed. Um, they've got good leadership. They've got uh, very, very good membership, uh, good breeders. And the type of cattle that are being produced, I think, has got some diversity, but nonetheless, very, very attuned to where the industry is going. So uh, that coupled with the, the, the newer breeders coming through, I think uh, it's exciting for where the breed's future is going to take it. Absolutely. Now, Peter, thank you so much for joining us um, as part of this celebration and sharing your story as part of this podcast. It's been great to chat. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. And all the best to you too, Ollie. Join us next week as we sit down with John Burnett to hear his story about his love of cattle, of Queensland and of his family. It's certainly a story that is not one to be missed. This podcast is sponsored by Simmental Australia. Unlock the potential in your herd and take it to the next level in performance. It's time to take your Simmental advantage.